Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Travis Nixon of Cinerai, an alternative data provider that uses NLP on vast quantities of information. Along with Cinerai, Travis has until recently been Chief Data Scientist in Financial Services at Microsoft and is currently joining Meta. In our conversation, Travis and I dig into the science of natural language processing and talk about how Travis sees NLP as the future of AI and not machine vision, as was previously believed. Meanwhile, if you have a notable or new data set that you would like to discuss on the podcast, do get in touch. So on this episode, I am joined by Travis Nixon of Cine AI. Um, welcome, Travis. Thank you. It's great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Did I pronounce it right? Is it Cine AI or Sina AI? Cinerai uh, is the Cinerai. colloquial way that we yep yeah. that we pronounce it. But Cinerai AI, a lot of folks can call it that. That's just fine as well. Uh, right. It does emphasize the AI part of the company, so that's all good. Sounds good. Okay. Um, so you're the CEO of Cinerai. Um, what, very briefly, does Cinerai do? Cinerai is an artificial intelligence company that takes as much of the world's data and information as we can get and use the latest NLP technologies to extract insights out of that. So Cinerai came about because in, in my previous startup, we'd been doing a lot of work with Twitter data, tweets and things like that. Uh, and I realized that that was not the best data set to be working with to get accurate predictions out. And so we had gone deep with social media. And the nice thing about social, me social media is that it's very reactive. You can get insights up to the second as to how people are feeling about a topic. But the problem is it's harder to extract actual intelligence from that data stream. So the thought was if we could get more established authors coming in that are, have more authority on a given topic, that we'd be able to extract the right insights from them. So this came into news articles uh, from around the world. And I didn't realize how much news is actually published around the world before starting this project. Uh, years and years uh, of, of data scraped, and you end up with tens of millions of articles uh, being published. And it ends up being this fantastic corpus of data. So the concept of Cinerai, and, and here, here's the, the core belief, Mark. Everything that we want to know, every question that we could possibly ask has already been answered in, an, in a better way than our own personal research uh, could take us easily within, but, within just a couple hours. But then it all burned in the Library of Alexandria, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, it does, though. Mark, it, it burns in the Library of Obscurity. Yeah. It, and, and so... I, I had this revelatory experience where in my government uh, job, I, I was I was let behind the curtain on, on this certain topic um, when I was overseas. And and it was highly classified and everyone wanted to know this information. So I, I was very excited. You know, finally, I'm going to see what's real in this world. And, and I came in and I saw the information. It seemed cool. It was awesome and stuff like that. Uh, and then just just to see. I took a topic that was adjacent to that one, put it in Google, and it was all there. Mm -hmm. And and so what behind the curtain really is, is knowing the right thing to Google. 
And if you had the right attention towards the correct information, you could answer any question in the world, Mark. And that's the key insight. And so that's what our AI is doing. It's taking the information that's out there, boiling it down and getting the right information and then layering AI on top of that to even start making predictive analytics. So how did that AI develop? So like the actual literal technical process? Yeah, I mean, so presumably there's been a fair bit of trial and error in order to train an AI to be able to know what to look for, which is what you're what you're what you're describing, you know, the the sifting. So how how did that how did that how did you train it? So from 2018 to 2020, not many people knew me. <laughs> I was at a computer coding 24 seven to get these models out. Now, what we have these days is some very interesting tools, language models, these large language models. Have you heard much about that, Mark? Um, I so uh, obliquely, yes. So BERT and things like that, isn't it? Yeah, BERT and now GPT-3. And yeah. we'll see when we get the next iteration, four, five, six, seven, and all these things. Um, but these large language models form a nice foundation and a basis to start understanding what a given corpus of text is actually saying. And Maybe just drawing. give a little, a quick, a very incredibly quick grounding on, on what these language models do. Sure. So the biggest problem of NLP is not actually analyzing text. The, the biggest challenge in natural language processing is turning text into numbers. That's really all it is, because no matter how sophisticated the computer program you're working on is, it does not understand language. Every computer has to turn language into numbers. And so there's a lot of different ways to do this. And natural language processing back in the 70s and 80s started with IBM literally mapping words. Okay, the word is is a one. The word the is a two. The word car is a three. And that's how they would change num uh, letters or words into numbers. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do this. But no matter how you change our human language into numbers, you're going to lose information. And whenever you lose information, that's a really bad thing. You might lose context. You might lose indicators of sarcasm. You, you might, so social media, you might even be losing misspellings. And that misspelling is actually indicative of the authority of the author. And so how to correctly change those words into numbers is the entire art of natural language processing. Where, where NLP started was the bag of words approach. In other words, you just have a whole bunch of words and on the basis of these words being really terrible or really good, I can tell you how the topic's being addressed. So let's take, for example, let's say I'm talking about um, art and, and I say art is fantastic. Well, just the fact that the word art and fantastic are in the same sentence would lead me to say that you like art. So that's where NLP started. Where it is now is being able to answer questions like, he was afraid of the bat. Well, what kind of bat are we talking about? He's afraid of the bat. Is that because someone was holding a wooden baseball bat? Or is that because a flying winged creature was flying towards someone? But now you need the context of the sentences around it to actually know what that's really saying. Is, is someone afraid of animals or is someone afraid of an armed robber in their home or something like that, right? So that's where NLP is. We, we've turned that sentence into huge vectors. So even that six or seven word sentence is now a vector with BERT. You'll get something like 733 different numbers to describe what that sentence is. 
And those numbers are not intelligible by, by the human mind. They don't actually mean anything that would make sense to us. They've just optimized this mathematical space. So they've, the, the, the whole art of these large language models is to turn words into numbers. There's a ton of really great material on this. In order to do it justice, you have to like get in front of a whiteboard and actually show what this is. But essentially, by starting with these large language models, which are getting bigger all the time, we're able to have a good leg up in order to start doing this natural language processing. That's very useful. That's a really good. That's a really good breakdown of of where NLP has got to. Um, so you had so you'd used so you started with the these these the most advanced language models being GPT three etc. Probably at the moment or, or and um, that's where you began. Um, and so then you had to train it on um, uh, sifting through the the world's corpus of information every day to find what matters the most. So what was the next step in that? So that's where my expertise ends. My expertise is in changing those words into numbers and then adding predictive models on top of that. But as far as scaling this solution out in a um, just software or backend engineer fashion, that's where I needed to rely on my co-founder or, or some other folks with that expertise. Essentially, that is a challenge that I have not found anyone else actually able to capture or accomplish. Some of these large language models are very difficult to deploy. And, and the, the way that you do pre-processing in the deployment of these large language models really changes your outcome and your output. So it took a year of experimentation beyond just building and getting the right language modeling going uh, in order to deploy it efficiently and be able to apply I mean, if you think about it, millions of news articles coming out every day, and these news articles have to be able to understand each other in the context of what's happening today. So if a plane goes down in Asia or something like that, that, that event happened, what is the reverberations for U.S. companies? And so you start having these tied together. So imagine the complexity like this, Mark. Well, Mike, 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 before we get into that, Travis, I, I suppose sure. what I'm asking, it may not be even be a, a technical question or the next layer on top of the, it seems to me that, so what these language models do is they're very good at divining, making sense of the data, essentially, and putting it in terms that a computer can understand. And then, so that seems then that you've got a nice hose, which is going to be sucking up uh, words and, and then turning it into essentially a, a searchable database, you could say, a, a daily searchable database. So then at that point, um, the important thing, the thing you want to lay on top is tell it what to look for. And that then depends, actually, that's the human at the end. And and you've got the, so the important thing is programming in the questions, telling it what's important, telling it that this is this is what we want. So then it, 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 it ends up being the most important thing is your use case, I suppose, which is what's then going to be defining what you use these language models for. So, so what was your, what was your use case? What were you telling it to look for? Absolutely. So at, at that point, the next use case is I want to learn specific information or intelligence around specific entities. So for our first use case, it was companies. I, I have these, this list of companies that are important in the U S stock exchanges. Tell me what I need to know about these companies in order to make informed decisions on an investment uh, strategy. And so with those companies, that's a pretty broad question. 
And it turns out a lot of news articles are paid news articles. So being put out by Amazon to say how great Amazon is doing in, in shipping or delivering things and like that, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. So how do you create a baseline for a company that's going to actually tell you relevant information about what you need to know? And that was the big question. So you can extract all that intelligence and dilute it and boil it down to just the essentials of what you need. But then what's actually going to be relevant to make strategic decisions? And, and that's where that's where we get to something that we, we term at Cinerai directional NLP. So there's there's two kinds of NLP. I don't know if you want to get into that, but um, associative versus directional. And that's the next phase. Yeah, go on. So associative says your company X, Y, Z is often associated with coffee beans and uh, South America. And so we estimate that your company has strong trade ties with, with South America. Well, that could be, or it could be that Microsoft hosted a coffee festival in Seattle because they wanted to treat their employees to something nice. And so that association seems like you could really make some good ties, but it actually ends up being fairly meaningless. It's also, uh, this is where you get into a lot of your sentiment analysis. So Microsoft in the context of coffee beans is really positive. Great. That means they threw a coffee festival. What are you supposed to do with that? Uh, and, and so it turns out that a lot of these sentiment scores or associations end up not having too much value behind them. If you get directional, that's, that's where you start getting interesting. So you start asking direct questions. Will Microsoft be putting investment overseas in South America? That's an actual question that you can start to answer. And giving, given what the context of what your language models are picking up on foreign exchange rates and how the US dollar is charging up in strength, that means that foreign investments right now are going to be a little bit more risky. Now you actually start getting down to a risk evaluation of the company Microsoft. And that's what we call directional NLP. Who's asking that question? Are you you're asking that question and the and the NLP model is understanding your question and then going off and searching for the for the answers in the daily press? So what we found was the the best set of answers that we would want to know about every company in order to make the right evaluation for them. So how, and, and, and the kind of questions that you start asking of your AI models involves things that um, are different this week versus last week. So this week, the strength of the US dollar is relevant, whereas a year ago, it wasn't the biggest question in the room. Yeah. So how do you evolve those questions over time? Can I take it back a step? Sorry. Um, so what you've done is essentially by say you've you've created this gigantic corpus of data and then you've hooked it up to the stock prices of the last period as well or, or the period where you've got the corpus for. And so um, you have a huge amount of information about Amazon um, and then you've also got the Amazon stock price. And so by connecting those two, various parameters or various kind of seesaws float to the surface, which is uh, if a seesaw is down on one side. So as you say, a question of, of if the dollar is strong, if it could be the, uh, for Amazon, let's say it's the, the, the dollar, it turns out to be a very important deciding factor. So that your, your model has produced that factor as being actually the question. If you want to know how Amazon's going to do, the first question you want to ask is, what's the dollar looking like? Um, and then you keep asking those that that question to to predict Amazon for the for the coming period. The, but you're also saying those questions change, so you need to update this all the time. Is that is that is that the model a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, yes, except for the updating process is not human led. It needs to be machine led. Otherwise, we're going to be injecting our own biases into this. And and I'm, I'm going to be able to build the right questions for yesterday, not the right questions for tomorrow. Okay, so that so these so these these need to be um, so the questions need to be updated uh, regularly. So at any moment, you are you are pointing this towards. How, so what's your universe? What are you? What are your? Um, what 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 what's your universe of stocks that you're covering? Right now, we cover eleven hundred different companies. It's the uh, large and mega cap stocks in the NYSE and Nasdaq. So we're starting off with just that universe. We have 7,000 companies that we are covering and, and looking at right now. But the fact of the matter is once you go beyond 1,100 companies, there's just not much press about the next 5,000 companies. Not many news articles are being written about these companies that most people, frankly, haven't ever heard of before. Even within the S&P 500, there's a lot of tickers there that most people have not even heard of. So we're getting into interesting new forms of data. They're going to allow us to have insights on that. But one of the key insights we found was direct information about a company is not the only way to get information about about that company. For example, um, I can get data points to show that 3M is um, highly tied to certain markers in the market. Well, if I have news on those markers in the market, then I can get proxy measures for how 3M the company is doing, even though 3M isn't really one of the most talked about companies in the world. Uh, and so there's proxy ways to get that data. And that allows you to start expanding your universe. Are you in different languages as well? Or is it just English at the moment? Right now, the news articles we ingest are just English. But uh, all the models that we work with are multilingual. So it's not going to be that big of a challenge to go multilingual. Um, what we need to do is get all the value out of the data that we currently have in English in order to have that right template to copy and paste out to other languages. Okay. Um, and so for any, so what this means is that for any stock in your universe, um, although the, the, the ones which have got more press about them will be, will be more, more accurate, more efficient, then you can, um, you can uh, tap into your computer and, and it can spit out essentially whether to buy or sell at the moment because the direction is looking good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's some interesting things that you come out of this. So we had answers to questions on these companies. But the next point that you arrive is you actually need a qualitative measure. And so this is where why stock prices? Why stock prices first? We have this machine that can answer anything about any entity. And our entity resolution mechanism is very elegant. So it allows us to actually pinpoint that we're really talking about a specific entity, um, which is one of the more difficult challenges along this whole line. But this is the beauty of sentiment scores. Even though I, I'm not a believer in sentiment scores, is you get a qualitative measure. I need to be able to say this is good or that's bad. I can say that Microsoft is going to invest in South America in the context of strong dollar and everything like that. But the next question is, was well, that a good thing or a bad thing? Because we need to boil this down. Humans need opinion. We don't just need facts. We need to know exactly polarity, good or bad. And that's why stock prices are so useful for us. I can now say that whenever Microsoft has done action X, it has led to the following depreciation of their stock price over the next eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, things like that. And stock price has given us that directionality. And so now the ability to continue answering these questions on things that don't have stock prices. 
So now that I've modeled Microsoft in the context of news and the context of having a stock price that can go up or down, I now have the ability to model companies that aren't even publicly listed. And this is where you start getting into the possibility of venture capital coming in and understanding how a company's performing, even though it's private. It seems to me, so just, just to stay on the big companies at the moment, um, it seems to me that uh, there will be a major event once every quarter, which is that um, this company will release its results. And when that event happens, then there will be a lot of news coverage about its results. And, um, you know, just at the same time as the market is moving in, in uh, thanks to its results. It strikes me that just just to play devil's advocate, if you were to crunch your numbers and have a look at uh, and, and ask your your, um, you know, your 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 computer, <laughs> um, how is Microsoft looking? Should I buy or sell the day before it announced its its results? Um, it may not capture. So it may be it'll be looking at the previous three months and be thinking about all of that. But it it may not be capturing the, the the fact that the next day there is going to be a huge event which is actually going to drive um your direction does that is that a is that a reasonable challenge it is absolutely a reasonable challenge but i want to add another layer to it as well so you have numbers coming out and you have to compare if you want to invest in Amazon or if you want to invest in NVR the real estate company or the the housing building company no one talks about NVR in the news and so you have specific events like earnings release where everyone talks about that company for a little while. And so that's going to really make your data go haywire. But you're also comparing NVR versus Amazon where everyone talks about Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and no one's talking about NVR. So how are you going to make these numbers apples to apples so that you can actually evaluate an investment decision? So in other words, natural ebbs and flows of data volume. This is one of the keys is that we have to create a benchmark that compares this company with itself. So how was Amazon talked about last earnings cycle? How was it talked about one year ago when it was the same time period in this earnings cycle? Because every company, every retail company is going to be having a fantastic Q1 because they just went through the holiday shopping season. Yeah. And and all sorts of great revenue was achieved there. Whereas Q2, all of a sudden it's lean times. So the algorithms, we, we've specifically pointed them to look at these trends and these anomalies and say, you know, earnings season is coming up. And in fact, not only can I say that, but I can also say things th this was an interesting study we did. Walmart leading into Black Friday has an extreme amount of marketing and advertisements going out. It's the same with Amazon and their Amazon Prime days. And everyone's talking about it. But are they talking about it less than they did the year before? In the year 2020, Black Friday for Walmart had an extreme amount of press coverage, but it turns out it was less press coverage than they had had in the past decade. And so while there was a surge for Walmart, I could tell you that it was a smaller surge and I could tell you that their earnings weren't going to be as strong because the momentum that they were feeling about it was much lower than standard. Mm. So it's about comparing yourself with your own baseline and then making a quantitative or a qualitative assessment from that. Very neat. So who's it for, Travis? Who's, who's the product for? The product can be applied in many different ways. Right now, there's two uh, core customer groups that we're talking to. There's uh, your quant funds that are seeking to ingest some new numeric data sets in order to improve their own algorithms and trade with them. Uh, we also have a retail customer product uh, where someone can come in, look at these 
health scores that we, we term them, uh, where they can evaluate a company on six different dimensions, earnings, reputation, management, ESG, systemic factors, and competition. And with those six factors, they're able to make the right investment decision therefrom. For example, we found our earnings power health score leading into events like the Q1, 2, 3, 4 earnings releases can be very predictive of how that's going to be received. The next stage, though, is going to be to take this intelligence and put it actually to non-financial applications. Uh, can a salesperson study up on their potential customer before going in? Uh, to have a conversation with them. That's a use case that's just arisen naturally out of our customers that already have access to the product. So in the in the financial investment world, it's it's quants rather than fundamentals. That's where we're seeing the most uptake right now. I think that uh, fundamentalists are, are going to have their day when they uh, can take a look and get their hands on the data. Uh, but that takes a little bit more time. You have to get used to it. You have to see the patterns emerge. You have to... Uh, really start having a relationship with that data. Whereas with quant, you can just throw it into a model and see if it's producing alpha. If not, then you're not going to take it. If it is, then great, we'll pay for it. So as I say, you've got very impressive credentials. You've been, you spent the last five years as chief data scientist for financial services for Microsoft, who is a company that I suspect people have heard of. And you are just about to move to Meta um, to do an equally high-powered job. So congratulations on that. Um, but it, it's, it begs the question a little bit that um, you're also the CEO of, of Cinerai. Uh, how do you balance this? How do you balance um, Cinerai, which is obviously something that you're passionate about, alongside these also very high-powered and presumably time-consuming roles that you're doing with, with Microsoft and now Meta? One great effect that's happened in my years and in these two roles is that being one has made me infinitely better at being the other. And so this experience for, let's talk about it from both points of view. Why would Microsoft or Meta want me to continue down this path? Uh, Because my experience here with Cinerai is making me much better at my roles there in those companies. They're getting more value out of me. But at the same time, uh, in, in my role at, as CEO of Cinerai, I'm able to bring a lot of understanding and institution, institutional knowledge of how a well-run company looks. And so a lot of machines are doing some great research and work for us. We've got a fantastic team here at Cinerai. Uh, and of course, if the time ever came that I couldn't do justice to both roles, I would need to focus on just Cinerai. And that's just fine. But that time hasn't come yet. Uh, and so things are going well with Cinerai as is. Uh, and I think that this is a great pattern for entrepreneurship going forward. We're able to create value in two places at once. Uh, and I think it's a good time to be able to do just that, especially in an era of being able to work from home. Yeah, I think it, I think it makes sense. I've, uh, we're meant to all end up with a portfolio of a portfolio career, aren't we? With our with our with our fingers in lots of pies. So um, so no, and I and I do think I think it adds um, gravitas and kind of as I say credentials to your to to, to Cinerai that 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 Microsoft and Meta still want you at the same time. You know, it's a, it's a it's a great compliment. I personally believe that the more automation is coming into our lives. So people oftentimes ask, you know, automation is going to wipe out human jobs and and we're not going to have a purpose anymore and things like that. What happens once AI gets so advanced, we don't need to do anything. I think that the more we automate, the exact opposite is happening. Think, Think of the pseudo jobs that we have created. People spending many, many hours enhancing and building their blogs, uh, 
building out social media presence. Uh, people are spending hours and hours making their Instagram posts as good as possible to try to go out and get viral and things like that. We have invented jobs, Mark. We have been, as, as our jobs have gotten easier through automation, we've invented for ourselves ways to gain that busyness and that value that we otherwise would not have had the time for. So I, I think that this entrepreneurial spirit... Alternative data podcast host, for one. <laughs> well, I, I think this this entrepreneurial spirit of being able to... I'm not just my day job. I am a whole complete person with interests and passions. And as that automation continues to drive forward in all of our lives, we're going to find more time, energy, and ability to build out those passions. And just like in my experience, I think it's going to make us both better at the job that we currently have, our day job, and better in our entrepreneurial spirit job. So that is what I see as the future of AI. We're not ever going to stop. I think it's great. And actually, you've taken me in the direction I was going to go, which is that you've said to me before, you're a great um, beater of the drum for NLP. Um, you've said to me before that, um, I think you said that everyone thought machine vision was going to be the 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 kind of the the invention which was going to open up the next step in in in, in development essentially because everyone was waiting for self-driving cars essentially which which we're still waiting for um and you were you were making the case to me that actually um it, it's a red herring and actually nlp was was there all along as being the 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 invention the technological step which will which will unleash our next step of development is that have i got that right and, and can you can you expand absolutely yeah in 2012 we thought that vision was everything. There was some amazing work being done with convolutional neural network CNNs that were going to come in, understand an image, tell you what's in it, and tell you intelligence therefrom. And combined with reinforcement learning, this was going to be the way through cars driving themselves. And so we, we started down this path of vision and reinforcement learning. And this also led to the thought that, well, we can apply this to automate what we do in Word or Excel and things like that. Uh, and that's going to be the huge value creation. And that led a lot of investment into the AI space in 2016, 17, 18. In 2018, we had a little bit of an AI winter where self-driving cars weren't advancing as fast as we thought they would. Vision projects hadn't been advancing as fast as we thought they would. There was a lot of companies starting up where you could take a picture of a burned down house or a, a waterlogged house and submit an insurance claim just from that. You wouldn't need an adjuster, just, just that one image. And that's what Vision could do. Well, it turns out it didn't, it didn't pan out. The, the Vision there, pun absolutely intended, Mark. The Vision did not actually pan out. Um, and so what we're seeing is a shift of investment. Now, at the same time, 2019, 2020, you start seeing these language models coming out that are a lot more sophisticated, that can do some really exciting things. GPT-2 was really the big piece that, that kicked this off. If you recall, the company that released it said, we don't want to put it out to the world because it's too dangerous. It's too smart. It'll automate everything. Well, that wasn't the case, <laughs> but it was pretty cool. And now with GPT-3, we have things like Dolly. And if you want to see the, the latest, greatest of what's coming out, uh, check out, uh, you, you should, should Google search D-A-L-L-E, Dolly, mm -hmm. and some of the incredible things coming out from that. And it turns out language models are able to even do some of the vision uh, aspects um, even better than what some of those original vision models are able to do. Uh, like creating an image out of just some descriptive text and things like that. So 
no, NLP is the is absolutely the the wave of the next few years. I think that the more we can build out what these models can do, the better off our society will be served. And we're just at the start of what that's going to be able to accomplish. I'd heard. Uh, it's nice to hear. I had heard. Um, I think it was about 2018, actually. So it's funny you should say that was an AI winter. But I remember reading articles saying, um, basically, what we've been living off is, is it Jeffrey Hinton was the guy who came up with, who took neural networks a step forward in about 2005. And um, basically, we've been living off that step forward and that we'd pretty much run out of running out of gas from that from that step forward. And we needed another genius to then take the deep underlying uh ideas the uh, deep underlying like uh theory um another step forward and then we get another 20 years of juice um so it's 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 nice your description because it just suggests that actually the juice has just been rerouted you know it, uh, the, it was it was pointing towards vision which was running out of gas but perhaps we've managed to get another gasp out of out of nlp does that does that sound kind of familiar does that sound right it's, it's- 100% true. You look at the Allen Institute of AI in 2017, April, they were at a conference and they said, we're now entering a new AI winter. So that, that lines up right with the timeline. Uh, and and then the Allen Institute came out with some fantastic language modeling based on the Elmo, Elmo models uh, in the years after that. So they, they found new new invigoration from that. Um, and it's, it's absolutely true, Mark. I, I think that the interesting part of, of that is when, when it came to CNNs or vision models, the AI data scientists in the companies were the ones making these new models. Well, now building these language models are so complex and so difficult and so compute intensive that it can only be done by a few institutions. It can't even be done by academia. It's being done by OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, and outside of just these few players, no one else is able to have the technological know-how or the budget to actually build these models. So the whole world is now at the mercy of these companies sharing out these models. Uh, so that's the one concern that I have is that uh, who's actually going to have access to this innovation? It looks like it's going to be tied in, in with a few hands. Um, so far, they've been very uh, um, gracious and, and excellent about sharing out the results of these models and, and the actual structure of these models. So that's a great thing to see. But at some point uh, that that could hamper this progress. But my larger point here is that these language models, once they're built, it's not too difficult to actually entertain and build out a use case therefrom. The analytics that you do on top of that is important and, and, and fantastic. But um, a lot of the AI work is front loaded, so to speak. Fascinating, Travis. I knew this would be this would be interesting, and it absolutely has been. I've I've learned a lot. Thank you so much for for coming on and um and and telling me all about uh Cinerai and and uh, an NLP and uh, as part of the process. And um and best of luck with both Cinerai and the new role at, at Meta. Thank you so much, Mark. It's uh, great to be here.